sermon uh, that I preach by just reminding us, because it's a reminder to me that we're worshiping, right? Like, this is all worship. Like, the, the sermon is not just an exposition for you to listen to, but this is worship. We are worshiping together. I don't want to separate the singing and things like that from the preaching. We do worship the Lord through this exposition today, and our goal is not really a nice speech or a lecture or anything like that, but just taking the Word of God that has been once for all delivered to us, the saints, and uh, worshiping the Lord through it. So let us walk away today thinking more about Jesus. Let us walk away more in love with Jesus than we were when we walked in today. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verse 6, and our text this morning is going to begin there in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, and it's going to go through the end of the chapter there. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. <clears throat> so when we left off last Sunday, there was a sharp disagreement, the word says. Uh, there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And as Pastor Carlton reminded us last Sunday, he reminded us that uh, this was no small disagreement. I think sometimes we can read through the scripture and if we read really fast, we go, well, no big deal, they had a little disagreement. It was a very sharp disagreement, very big disagreement. It was not small. Uh, The meaning of this word sharp is actually the same language that the New Testament uses to describe God's wrath against sin. So that's, that's not small, right? Okay, so this very, very sharp disagreement uh, that Paul and Barnabas had. And as with any disagreement in the church, this had the potential to tear apart the work of God or the work of Christ, at least in our understanding, at least in our human understanding, it had the potential to do that. But our God is sovereign and his providential hand through Paul and Barnabas's separation now was sending out two mission teams instead of just one. And uh, two different directions they were going. So the word of God was, was spreading. The word of God was, was going forth. And it was going forth through two teams instead of just one. So Barnabas took John Mark, who at the time Paul was not a very big fan of. Uh, we can read that in the scripture. And he went to Cyprus. Uh, and Carlton made sure to remind us last week that as, uh, as he was not a very big fan of him at this moment, that later on, John Mark joined Paul in the work years down the road. And it was an incredible uh, incredible time uh, in what the Lord did in John Mark's life uh, to get him to that point. So they went to Cyprus, and then Paul took Silas and went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. That was their goal, to go through there and, and strengthen the churches, because Paul loved the church, and he wanted to strengthen the church. So uh, when they showed up in Lystra, they met a young man named Timothy. And after a small medical procedure that they performed, they brought him along on the journey. (laughs) I kind of joked that uh, I think think Carlton set a record last week for saying the word circumcision in a sermon. Like, I, I don't know how many times he said it, but like, I think... Corey and I set the under over at like 10, and he blew, he blew past that in like the first 10 minutes. I mean, I don't know how many times he said that word, but it was, it was a lot. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so small medical procedure. He took Timothy along with him, and now the gospel is spreading to not just different towns and things like that, but it's spreading to a different continent. It's going to a different continent, and it's headed west. The gospel is headed west, and it's headed... Uh, where it will eventually make its way to us and because of these missionary journeys that Paul and Silas and these guys took. So praise God. God wants all people to know him through his son Jesus. Amen? All people. 
and we already know that the enemy does not want this to happen, right? He doesn't want it to happen, so there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be, there's going to be some open doors. There's going to be some closed doors. There's going to be some places where the Holy Spirit makes a way and says, go this way. And there's going to be some places where he says, not yet. There's also going to be opposition from the enemy. So this morning, I've entitled my sermon, All Open and Closed Doors Lead to the Mission of God. All open and closed doors lead to the mission of God. Nothing can stop the gospel from getting where God wants it to go. Nothing at all. If he wants the gospel to go there, it's going to get there, no matter what means he uses. And just as he used who, who, these people we read about in the book, book of Acts, just as he used them, he now uses us. We are his missionaries. If you belong to Christ today, you are his missionary. You don't have to go to Zambia. You don't have to go uh, to a different state or anything. You're a missionary right here in Anniston, Alabama, in Calhoun County, wherever you live. If you belong to Christ, you're a missionary. So I want us to read this text in its entirety today, beginning in chapter 16, verse 6. So I'm going to read it. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul, who had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So they're in Philippi, and yes, it's that Philippi, the Philippi from, uh, from the New Testament, where he wrote a letter about ten years later. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed where, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Having received the order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up, to, up into his house and set, before them, set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers... They encouraged them and departed. The word of the Lord, amen? Amen. So there is so much in this passage. It's a long passage, and it's a little overwhelming to say I'm going to preach all through this passage in 30 to 40 minutes, but I'm not a good enough uh, preacher to hold your attention for any longer than that, so this is what we're going to shoot for today, okay? So uh, so let's just zoom out and take a 30,000-foot view of this really quick and uh, see some of the, uh, I, I told you the, the passage today, I'm, I'm going to give the sermon the title that open and closed doors uh, lead to the mission of God. So I want to look at some of these closed doors and op- open doors here today. So let's, let's look at like, some closed doors that are just in, in their way here. So uh, Asia, it says that uh, they, were, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Um, Bithynia it said that... Uh, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So a couple closed doors. Uh, when they got to Philippi, there was no synagogue, okay? You know, we know Paul's custom was to go to the synagogue and, and to uh, look for people to proclaim the word of the Lord to at the synagogue. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. Uh, they were harassed by a demon. I say they were harassed by a demon. It says a slave girl, but she was possessed by a spirit of divination, that was a demon. They were harassed by a demon. And you notice that, that uh, he, uh, the demon called out to them, these men are servants of the Most High God. That's usually, that's usually a title that uh, the demons use to, uh, to uh, talk about Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, so these, these are, these are uh, servants of the Most High God. And they were beaten and imprisoned. How about some open doors? So if these are closed doors, some closed by the Holy Spirit, uh, some, some may be... Uh, Opposition to the mission. How about some open doors? If we zoom out and we look, we see uh, 
Um, Macedonia, obviously, this was a huge open door. A man from Macedonia in a vision said, come, come to Macedonia and help us, okay? A uh, man from Macedonia, a place of prayer beside the river, okay? So there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, but what did Paul and Silas and uh, Timothy, and we're going to see here in just a minute, Luke, Luke was with them, uh, what, what did they do? They went to a place of prayer beside the river, well, they cast this demon out of this slave girl, okay? They cast this demon out of the slave girl, and that led to their imprisonment and their beating, their beating and their imprisonment. And what did that lead to? Well, that led to the Philippian jailer and his family, okay? So as we, as we zoom out and we look, we see some things that seem like closed doors. We see things that look like open doors, okay? And we can say, well, was their beating and their imprisonment an open door for the gospel? Absolutely it was. Absolutely it was, because it led him to the Philippian jailer and his household there. And by the time we get to the end of the sermon today, we're going to see how all these things that, that we see in this passage led to the establishment of the church at Philippi. The church that, as I mentioned, 10 years later, Paul was going to write to from prison, saying things like this, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So 10 years later, as Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi, he says things like that. This is the beginnings of that church today that we're going to see by the end of the passage today. So in verses 6 through 10, we don't know why or how they were forbidden, it says, by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, or why the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to go to Bithynia. But we do know how they made the decision that Macedonia was where they were supposed to go. As I mentioned, they had a vision. Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia saying, come to Macedonia and help us. So they, the scripture uses this word, concluded. They concluded that God called them to preach there. Wouldn't it be nice if we got that every time we needed to make a decision? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like a vision? Like, wouldn't you like somebody appear in a vision and tell you, this is what you need to do? Because, let's face it, a lot of times we have to make decisions, and we don't, we don't get that clear of a response, right? So we're praying, and there's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of ways we can come to uh, how we're supposed to do something or, or how we're supposed to make a specific uh, decision. So, but it would be nice if we got that vision uh, of somebody telling us what to do, where to go uh, each time. But it says they concluded, they concluded that they should, they should go to Macedonia. Uh, by the way, I want, I want everybody to notice uh, in this passage too, uh, it's, it's really awesome, the Trinitarian nature of God's leading in this passage. You can see it right there, that the Holy Spirit uh, it forbade them for speaking the word in Asia the uh, spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go to Bithynia, and then they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel uh, in Macedonia. So, uh, how incredible. Some people say, man, it's hard to find the Trinity in the Bible. Well, that's not. You can find it. It's in there. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yes, they concluded they should go to Macedonia. So, we don't always get visions like this. So, how do we know, like, where God is leading us and, and not leading us? And how, how do we know how to make a decision. Well, we have things like closed and open doors. You know, we, we, use that, we use that terminology a lot to talk about how God's leading us. Well, there was a door closed. Well, God opened this door. You know, this door closed, this door opened. Um, we, we conclude 
so like verse 10 literally means to put the pieces of the puzzle together. When they talk about like concluding, it means like you're putting pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, we get godly counsel from people. Uh, God gives us people to get godly, godly counsel and wisdom from other believers. And uh, we see a lot of plural pl- pronouns in there when they're talking about it. He's talking about we, us, we're doing this together. We are, we are concluding this together. It's not just me making this decision. Uh, and then finally, we make sure... This is very important that we're on mission with God to begin with. If you're on mission with God to begin with, then you will end up in the right place. There's no doubt. Like if you are, if you are continually, day after day, putting yourself before the Lord and saying, God, I want to be on mission with you. I want to be, I want to be in the places you want me to be and speaking the gospel to the, the people you want me to speak them to, then, then you're going to end up where he wants you. Absolutely. So, so you be in the right place and God will move you where you want, he wants you to be. So... If you're, if you're on mission with God and about his business, you're going to end up in the right place. And if you're not, you can end up way far off the path. Um, but God is gracious and will bring us back. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, Luke is now in the party, like he's joined the party. How do we know this? Because beginning in verse 10, you can see they start to use the plural. Uh, Luke starts to use the plural pl- pronouns there. Uh, you can see that in verse 10. God has called us to preach the gospel uh, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Uh, further down, we remained in the city some days. Uh, we went outside the gate. We supposed there was a place of prayer. Lots of we, lots of us's. Um, so we know Luke is with him, with them at this point. He's joined. He's joined the party. So, um, and then when Paul and Silas are imprisoned and beaten here. Uh, he, he kind of goes back to them, uh, the, the them uh, language. So uh, we know he, pro- he wasn't included in the, in the beating and the, uh, and the imprisonment. So, uh, so they end up in Philippi, and on the Sabbath, they go to this place of prayer beside the river. So there was no synagogue in Philippi, which was Paul's customary place to begin proclaiming the gospel. So they went to this place of prayer. And there they have the first of three that we have record of, gospel encounters that lead to conversions, okay? Um, now, we assume that there were many other people that, that were converted on this missionary journey, but we have a record of three right here in this passage that uh, three gospel encounters that led to those conversions. So I want to I spend some time on these gospel encounters. The first one uh, in verse 11, uh, Lydia says that... Uh, In verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So just just a moment, a thing thing about Lydia. It says she was a seller of purple goods. Um, This means that she was probably a woman of of means. Uh, She was probably wealthy. uh, As as she sold uh, purple goods, those were things for wealthy people. Um, usually, and, and where she was from, that was a place that, that would sell those things. Uh, so she was a woman of means. Uh, it says later on in the passage that she had a house and that she invited them to. So um, she, did have, uh, she did have some, some means, and she was probably a, a wealthy, wealthy woman. So, uh, but it says in verse, um, verse 14, when it talks about her, it says, She was a worshiper of God, but the Lord opened her heart to pay attention what was said by Paul. And after that, she was baptized. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is the Lord's work. This is evangelism, okay? Uh, evangelism is always the Lord's work. Uh, we're not responsible for the result when we proclaim 
the word of God, as Paul was doing there. We're not responsible for the result. Who can open a dead and lifeless heart except for the Lord? No one, right? So we're not responsible for the result, but I'll tell you what we are responsible for. We are responsible for being faithful to speak, being faithful to speak the word, being faithful with the gospel entrusted to us. Now, some of us were converted this way, right? Like, were you converted maybe in a way where you heard the gospel spoken or you heard the gospel in a, in a church service or, or somebody spoke it and God just opened your heart to hear it and your heart was wide open to hear the gospel of Jesus. Some of you were converted that way. And, and it seems like such a quiet, uh, simple way to be converted. He was speaking the truth. The Lord opened her heart to hear it. And it says, you know, she... she uh, she believed and she was baptized right there. So uh, it was a very, very quiet, simple way to be converted. Some of you probably were uh, converted that way. Uh, so I, I want to make sure that today we, we give a clear call. Like if you, if you have heard the gospel of Jesus preached, if you have heard it through song, if you have heard it in any way at all, and God is pricking your heart, opening your heart to hear that and to respond to him, Please, today, respond. It's, I mean, even as you hear the word of God saying and proclaimed, God could be opening your heart right now. So I want to make sure that we make that call today. If, if that's you, if you're in this place and you're hearing the word of God preached and proclaimed and God is opening your heart to the word, please respond. Please respond in that way today and, and just and say, Lord, you know, here I am. I want to, I want to follow you and I want to be your, be your servant. So uh, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After that, she was baptized, her whole household old as well. And then she says this. She says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So once again, she had a house. She had a place to go. She invited them to their house. Uh, this is a great picture of hospitality, is it not? A great picture of how the Lord uses hospitality for his gospel. So Lydia, a new convert, a convert right there, she says, come to my house and stay. And we're going to see later on that when they got out of prison and they were beaten, that where did they go? They went to Lydia's house, right, to see the brothers, to encourage Lydia and to be encouraged themselves. So Lydia is using her gift of hospitality already to further the gospel. So I want to encourage you, Grace Fellowship, if you have a home, it's meant to be used for the gospel of Jesus. If you have a place, um, it is meant to bring people in and to and to use it for the gospel. And um, uh, I, I just thought of this as a personal, uh, a personal example. Uh, we, we just moved to a new home, new to us, um, and it was just right across the street in our neighborhood. We bought the house across the street because we love our neighborhood so much, and we love the people in our neighborhood so much, and we wanted to stay there. So, so we moved right across the street, and one thing I love about this house is that it has a great front yard. The front yard is really important uh, when you talk about your neighborhood because you can have a good backyard, but if you're in the backyard and you've got a fence around it, nobody ever sees you, right? Uh, so, but your front yard is great for your neighbors, right? So uh, yesterday afternoon, beautiful day, uh, I said, Raylan, come on, man, let's go out there and hit the baseball, you know, and let's, let's do some baseball out in the front yard. So we did, and within, within 10 minutes, I had people from three different households in my front yard playing baseball with us. I mean, just like that. 
And I, I just sat back and went, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This house is a tool, obviously. You know, um, I want people in my house. Right now we're doing a re- little remodeling, so not many people can come inside. There's, we can barely get around inside. But, um, uh, but the yard, man, it's great. Like that front yard is like where I want people to be. And you know, as my kids grow up and get older, like I want their friends to be there. And I want, I want them hanging around and uh, using what God has given us, like the tools that God has given us to proclaim the gospel. Um, so my encouragement would be for you to practice hospitality and, and, and see what the Lord would do with that uh, in your life. Um, I, I w- also want to commend a book to you as well uh, that I read about a year and a half, two years ago called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's by Rosaria Butterfield and just a fantastic book about hospitality and how the Lord uses hospitality. Uh, it really, really kind of rocked my world in the way that... Um, you know, our gifts that God gives us can be used to further his gospel. So the gospel comes with a house key by Rosaria Butterfield. So uh, we, we see Lydia's hospitality there after she was converted. And in verses 16 and 24, we see a second conversion, okay? So of the three conversions we're going to look at today, we see a second one. And this one is a little different in circumstances. It doesn't seem so quiet and easy and simple. So uh, as a matter of fact, you know, like Lydia's conversion seemed just really, just matter of fact. So, uh, so this slave girl in verses 16 uh, through 24, uh, it says, A slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, and Paul had finally had enough. He was greatly annoyed. He turned to the, and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So very, very different than Lydia's conversion. Um, Paul cast this demon out of this girl. and um, there was a, Obviously, her owners were very upset about that because they had lost their source of gain. That led to their, the beating and the imprisonment that we're going to see here in just a moment. So, very different conversion than Lydia, and I also want to make that call to those who today may be in chains and addictions and things like that, that, that you may feel harassed by spirits, you know, may, may, may feel harassed by the enemy in those ways, and maybe you're in chains of addiction, maybe you're in chains of um, uh, sin that you can't get out of. Uh, our God is powerful enough and strong enough to, to cast those out from you, and uh, I just want to encourage you as well today. If you need to respond to God in that way <laughs> and say, God, just save me, save me uh, like from these chains that are on me, uh, do that. Do that today. That's the call of salvation to you today. So this led to Paul's beating, and Paul and Silas beating and imprisonment. Um, and even this was an open door for the gospel, so we're going about to see that. So uh, as, as, his, as the slave girl's owners were very upset that they had lost gain, what did they do? They went to the magistrates and they said, uh, these people are you know, teaching things that um, are, are bad for our society. And um, so the, they, they seized them and they brought them in and, and they beat them with rods. I mean, tore their clothes off, beat them with rods. Uh, let's, let's don't think this is something really simple, like a really light beating. It was, it was serious. And these men were, were greatly injured uh, from, these, uh, from this beating that they took. Then um, they locked them in the inner prison, it says, and fastened their feet in the stocks. So can you imagine, after you've been beaten within an inch of your life, and then they take you to the inner prison and lock you in, 
you know, so you have to kind of be in that position and you can't, you know, nurse your wounds or anything like that. So you can't imagine. So, so they're in prison and then in verse 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And make sure you hear this line right here. The prisoners were listening to them. So they're praying and singing hymns to God after they were beaten and in prison. And then the prisoners were listening to them. That's evangelism as well, right? That's, that's proclaiming the gospel where you are. And the prisoners were listening to them. They were hearing the word of the Lord, saying and praying. So here we're going to see just another means that God uses to convert people. His absolute, miraculous, jaw-dropping power. So there's a great earthquake, and the prison's shaken to the foundations, and all the doors come open, and every chain falls off every wrist and ankle. It's not just them, it's the rest of the prisoners too, right? And no one left. Everybody stayed. All the prisoners, not, not just Paul, Silas, and them. I think sometimes I miss that reading, but everyone, everyone stayed. All the chains fell off, everyone stayed. And in that moment, like the jailer goes from almost committing a, like an honor suicide, basically. He said he was going to kill himself, you know, so he wouldn't, so he wouldn't be, uh, so he'd still have honor about him as a prison guard, right? Uh, he goes from that to asking a very important question. Here's the question he asks him. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a question that is. What must I do? All this stuff has happened. All this, you know, the, the, the prison is, is in shambles, and I'm in trouble, you know, obviously, because, you know, my bosses are not going to be very happy with me. But what does he ask? He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Incredible question. And if you're asking that question today, maybe you are. Maybe you're in this place today where you're asking that question as well. What must I do? To be saved. I want to give you Paul and Silas's answer, and we we proclaimed some of this in our profession earlier as well. But verse thirty one, verse thirty one. After he asked, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" and they said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved." So, Grace Fellowship, let's make sure that when we call people to salvation. Like when we call people to sa- from death to life and call people to salvation, let's make sure that we keep that call to salvation as simple as what Paul and Silas said here. Okay, I think sometimes we can tend to, in our corner of evangelicalism, uh, kind of make sure everything has a nice little bow on it before we'll say, hey, somebody's saved, you know, or somebody's, somebody's good. Uh, let's make sure we keep it as simple as Paul and Silas said. Nothing less and nothing more, okay? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And we'll draw them into discipleship, and we'll teach them, and we can teach them all about the right view of millennium and all that kind of stuff, and we'll be good. <laughs> so, uh, but let's, let's just make sure, <laughs> let's make sure when we call people to salvation that we call them as simply and as directly as Paul and Silas did here, okay? Uh, and notice what happened after he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, you know, Paul and Silas, they said just to... Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your entire household. What was the jailer's response? He's, he took them to his house, like that very minute. He took them to his house, he washed their wounds, he fed them, and he was baptized. 
So even then, we see like hospitality coming out in the jailer. The jailer is just now converted. He just, he just now is, is converted to Christ. And like that's the, his immediate response is he takes them. He washed their wounds. He fed them. And then he was baptized. So once again, that's, that's my, our simple call to you today. If, you, if you're here, you don't know Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. So in the epilogue, I'll call this the epilogue, um, the last few verses uh, here, on the next, um, starting in verse 37, uh, we see that uh, the magistrates wanted to let them go. So not knowing what had happened, and, and Paul, uh, Paul's not the kind to like make a fool of somebody, like publicly, <laughs> really. Um, so, but the magistrates want to let him go, and the jailer says, look, you, you, you can go. Like the, they, they said, let's go. And Paul says, oh, no. You tell them to come and take us out. You know, we're, we're, we're not, we were falsely accused, and you, you, tell, us, you tell them to come take us out. So, um, like I said, Paul's not really the kind to try to, like, publicly make a fool of somebody. So, uh, this might seem sort of uh, confusing on its face. Uh, but most, most New Testament scholars kind of believe that um, his reason for doing this was to ensure the safety of the church as he left them behind. The church at Philippi, the church at Philippi that was going to be there. And that, that he that had been set up, and that people God was converting people, and they were becoming a part of this church, and um, you know just making sure that that they knew publicly that Paul and Silas had done nothing wrong, you know, and um, they uh, they wanted to make sure that the church there was safe. That's 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 what some people, you know, some scholars believe, and um, you know because they were leaving a church behind this church at Philippi. So like verse forty, let's look at verse forty together. Uh, verse forty. Um, and so they went out of the prison when they were let go because the, because the magistrates came and said, like, leave the city, get out of here. Uh, and they went out of the prison, and where did they go? They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So this is the beginnings of the church at Philippi. Like I said, yes, that Philippi, the one that's in the Bible, the one that Paul writes the, the letter to, the epistle to, that we'll read. Um, so I mentioned earlier that 10 years later, Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi from prison. Um, can you imagine what the church at Philippi looked like 10 years later? You know, after, after Paul had left and, you know, he'd been back to visit. Uh, but like 10 years later, how the church that was meeting in Lydia's home there had grown. And maybe, they, maybe sometimes they were still meeting at Lydia's home. I don't know. Was Lydia still there? Who knows? Uh, you know, the, the slave girl. Was the slave girl. Like, when they had went back to Lydia's house after being released from prison, do you think the slave girl was there? Do you think uh, the Philippian jailer was there at Lydia's house? Part of the church at Philippi, the first, part, the, the, the first beginnings of this church. Who knows, like, when 10 years ago, when, when Paul, 10 years later, when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Philippi, who stood in front of that congregation and read his letter to the church? Can you, can you think about that? Who stood there and read that? To them. Maybe it was a slave girl who read these words from Philippians 1 3 through 6 that says this I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. 
And so all these converts that we see on Paul's second missionary journey all throughout Philippi and people he ran into, um, now there's a growing and thriving church. And uh, all this happened because, you know, hey, Paul and Barnabas, they separated. They went two different ways. The gospel started spreading uh, all throughout uh, different continents, and, and it made it to us uh, even here today. So I'm, I can be sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Grace Fellowship, we can be sure of this too, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And how can we be sure of that? How can we be sure of that? Because Christ has already done everything to accomplish our justification and is sanctifying us till we see him face to face. That's how we know. Let's pray together. Our Father, may we, Grace Fellowship, be judged faithful. May we be a faithful congregation. May we be faithful to proclaim the word of God where we are so that people's hearts will be opened and they will believe. May we be bold when we encounter opposition from the enemy and call it what it is. And pray to you, Lord, and, and, and submit ourselves to you and not be fearful, but go forth in power because you've called us to that. May we be faithful when we encounter persecution, when we encounter opposition, that we would worship you, that we would sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and that we would proclaim the word of the Lord and that we pray aloud so that the people who are in earshot can see and hear how we are rejoicing in persecution. And they can submit themselves to you and ask those questions and say, well, what must I do to be saved? Father, may we be on mission with you so that we're in the right place at the right time so when you open hearts, we can speak. Lead us into the places that you want us to go and... Um, Lord, we know that the fields, uh, the mission fields here in Calhoun County are ripe for the harvest. And uh, let us be faithful to speak your word to those so we can see a harvest. And so we can see um, good seed being planted in good soil. And uh, so we can worship you because of that. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen, church. Uh, thank you guys so much uh, today for being here. We're so